0: You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at ways We're going to continue our worship through the Word, and we're going to see a part of the passage we've been studying for the last few weeks. It's going to be a difficult one this week, I think, for most of us. It has been for me. Uh, If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series through Praying Like Jesus. It's the name of our series. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is telling us how to pray, and as he does that, I mean, I thought, if we're going to figure out how to pray, if we want to learn how to grow in our time with the Lord through how we speak to him, then we need to let the Lord tell us how to pray, and he does. I mean, there's no better way than to say, Lord, what do you want from me in a particular area? And he says, do it like this, and that's exactly what he does here. What I kind of have brought to the forefront, and I think is still the case for most of us, though, is that. I don't know, I won't speak for you, I oftentimes get caught up in just the speed of life, the the ruthless hurry that we live in, and so when I get alone with the Lord, I often find it difficult to slow down and think through what I'm actually saying when I pray, and it's easy. We could rattle this prayer off in Matthew chapter 6 in a matter of a few seconds, but to really slow down and recognize what we're doing takes more time. And when we do, it actually does a lot of good for our souls and especially our relationship with God. And so as we look at this today, I want you to be thinking about that. I also want you to be thinking about this, that I believe this particular section we're going to be in today, uh, as I said before in a different way, it's probably going to feel like a kick to the gut for some of us or slap in the face for others. Uh, It it is a, a part of scripture that I find in some ways to be quite terrifying It's a uh, part of scripture that is difficult for me as I ponder and ask the Lord to reveal my heart. And so I want you to join with me. Know that as I preach to you, all I'm telling you is how God's been preaching in my heart for a season now. And so let's look at the text. I'm going to read through it. It's uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. We're going to go all the way through verse 15. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's what it's known as. We're going to come back and focus on verse 12. And then verses 14 and 15 for clarifying. Jesus didn't just give us everything else is one phrase. He gave us a couple of phrases, and then he backed it up with a couple of more lengthy, what we call verses now, to show us the importance of this. So I want you to take that in as we look at this and, and go through this today. Let me read it. I will pray for us, and then we'll begin the journey. Verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father... For if you forgive others their trespasses, he says, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pray with me. Father, I stand before you today as a sinful, broken man who cannot do justice to who you are to your word but you can do that father you can use me to speak truth I pray you will today I pray father that you would work in all of us to conform us to your desires for our lives help us father I ask you help us to see you as our father who intimately wants relationship with us you want it so much that you sent Jesus help us to see that today Father, I pray that in us and through us, your name would be made famous, that you would be hallowed, revered. Father, I pray that in us, your kingdom would come today, and that we would do your will just like it's done in heaven, with immediacy and urgency. Father, please give us what we need to do your will. Please give us what we need to love you the way you first loved us in Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would help us today to forgive others and that you would forgive us our sins. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you struggle with these things. I think most people do at times. Uh, I personally have struggled over the years at different times with forgiveness. I don't know if that's just because the type of guy that I am or if it's just human nature and just the sinfulness that's within us, but I have struggled a lot at different times in my life with forgiveness. In fact, uh, as I was working through this, I kind of knew there was a part of me that was hanging on to some bitterness in my heart towards an individual in my life, but I did not realize I, I really had, had still been holding on to. It. I didn't realize I wasn't forgiving someone for some things they don't even know that I was mad at them about or upset with them about. And so uh, God has really been laying it to me this week, just pounding me with his word and with his grace and with his goodness. In fact, it has been a season of this. It's not just been this week, but I found a lot of grace. And I hope today that you will find the same grace as we work together through this passage. I think most of us don't recognize what we're praying when we pray here, and it is severe, it is big, it's important, it is, can be detrimental to our own self as we pray it if we're not aware of what we're praying. So let me read the text again, just the parts that we're going to really focus on today. Chapter 6, verse 12, and forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us, Verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I like to read the old dead guys, as I call them, Puritans, early church fathers. I believe that if I come up with something new that nobody's thought of before, it's probably wrong. And so I like to double check myself as I study, as I read scripture, and I read a lot of these old guys, and um, one of them referred to this prayer as a terrible decree. This prayer is, he said, this prayer of forgiveness. A terrible decree. And I totally agree because it is a scary thing to recognize that we are standing before a holy God who has decreed that we should be holy like him that we should be perfect in everything we do, that we should respond at all times in full, immediate obedience with urgency, that we should always do what we're told to do, that we should always refrain from doing what we should not do. And oftentimes, though, I find that I will go throughout the entire day without even checking in to see, Lord, what do you want? I'm the pastor. I should even say it out loud, right? But it's the truth. I mean, we can go through the day at such a hurried pace and with so, such a disconnected mind that we're not even recognizing that we are living in a moment of grace every breath we receive from a God who makes sure that our systems are sustained, that we might continue to breathe in and breathe out, and that oxygen continues to be in the air. Everything is maintained and held onto by Him, and He is a just holy God, and because we are rebels, he should wipe us out immediately the first time we ever sinned against him. But instead, what he has done is love us so much, even in spite of our sinfulness, that he would send his one and only son, who's worth more than all of creation combined, to come to this place to live the perfect life that we cannot live, to then die the death that we deserve under the full wrath of God poured out on him so that he could bring us into his family. This is the good news about Jesus, right? This is what has changed those of us in here who are followers of Christ. This is what has made a difference for us that we cannot go back from because we were dead and now we're alive. But even now we struggle because we are not yet as we should be, as we are being changed moment by moment and more into the image of Christ, hopefully. But all too often I find we are just walking through, I'm just walking through the day, the weeks, the months, spending very little time, purposely focusing on the fact that God did all of that so He could have me face-to-face with Him, that I might enjoy Him now, every day, every moment, fully abiding with me by His Spirit so that I might be in relationship with Him in a way that I might enjoy Him fully now and forevermore as we go to be with Him. And here we find... The passage, the part of the passage, the part of the prayer that says, when you get off track, when you've made that mistake, when you've failed again, this is what you say, Jesus says. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Asking for forgiveness demands, first off, when we do this, that we confess our sins. You have to admit you have a problem to ask for forgiveness from that problem. You have to admit that you made a mistake before you can ask for forgiveness for that mistake. That's just the way it works. If you haven't figured that out, guys, anybody have figured that out, guys that are married? Anybody? Right? We know this to be the case. You can't just say, I'm sorry. You have to understand and confess what you did wrong and then ask for forgiveness really meaning you want forgiveness. It's the same with God. 1 John 1, 9, John says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He remains just because He's a just God. He should condemn us, but instead He condemned His only Son so that He could forgive us and that we could find forgiveness when His Son found condemnation in our place on the cross. So He remains just when He forgives us. Psalm 32, 5. The psalmist says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. He means I didn't hide my sin from you. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here's the truth about us as Christians. It's this is a really weird thing. So if you're not familiar with this, it's okay. It's weird. It's going to sound weird. But the holier you get, another way, the more sanctified you become, the more you become like Jesus, as you grow into the image of Christ, the the way we were meant to be originally, as you look more and more like that, as you grow in your faith, the more you do that, the more you're actually going to become aware of your own sin and how great it is. It will become larger in your eyes every day as you become more and more like Jesus. And the filthiness of it and the stench of it will become more and more repulsive to you and more and more apparent as you grow in your faith. I say that to say, it. If, if therefore you have not smelled your own stench for a while, it helps to be in community so others can tell you you stink, right? Small groups, Sunday school classes, that's what, that's what they're for. Part of it is to say, we walk together because we have blind spots. We don't see these things often, but they're there. Thomas Watson, one of those old Puritans, he says, why is sin called a debt here in the Greek? He says, because it fitly resembles it. A the debt arises upon non-payment of money or not paying that which is one's due. He says, we owe to God exact obedience and not paying what is due, we are in debt. He says, in case of non-payment, the debtor goes to prison. So by our sin, we become guilty and are exposed to God's curse of damnation. Though he grants a sinner a reprieve for a time, yet he remains bound to eternal death if the debt cannot be forgiven. That's what happens. That's what sin is. He goes on, he says, and sin is the worst kind of debt because it's against an infinite majesty, an offense against the person of a king. It's the crime of high treason to do that. It enhances and aggravates the crime. Sin wrongs God, he says, and so it is an infinite offense. That's why hell would be an infinite place to be forever and ever. Because the wrath would come down forever on us because we've infinitely offended an infinite God. So when you pray this prayer, Father, forgive us our debts. When we pray this prayer, we need to slow down and take the time to actually think and maybe ask God, What what are some sins I haven't confessed to you? Hear me right, it doesn't mean that if you've missed one, that you're going to hell. That's not how that works. That sin was covered with the blood of Christ if you remember it or not. God remembers them all and then forgives them all in Christ if you've been found in Him, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus. However, it might do us good to recognize how much we need Jesus by asking God to reveal to us how much we've sinned, by the things we've done that we shouldn't do, by the things that we should have done that we did not do. Lord, remind us of these things and then confess each and every sin you can think of since the last time you asked for forgiveness. All of a sudden, this quick little prayer that takes five seconds to say out loud becomes an hour endeavor if you're not careful, right? Or if you are careful. You confess those things, and with your head bowed low before the king, you take each of your sins and cast them before him, confessing your need for his forgiveness. And when you're done, you lift up your eyes to see the face of grace in the face of Jesus, and you need to know this. Know that you are forgiven if you put your hope in Jesus. Many of us struggle with that statement. A lot of you in here struggle with forgiveness. You struggle with it. Not just forgiving others, but also being forgiven. And that's because the guilt of our sin makes us feel ashamed. That's the natural outcropping of sin. And rightly so, right? I mean, think back to the garden, Genesis 3. What happens when Adam and Eve sin and God begins to walk with the garden looking for them like they can hide from the all-knowing God, Right? And they hide, and God says, what are you doing? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam didn't become naked all of a sudden, by the way. He had always been naked. In the South, we call it nude, right? And then when he got caught doing something he shouldn't do, it's called naked, right, yeah. But he recognized he was naked. He was ashamed of himself. God didn't create him for shame. He created him to be exactly who he was until that very moment that he sinned and now he felt shame. It comes in the territory with sin. When we sin against another person or we sin against God, something comes between us at that moment and the one against whom we've sinned, there's separation between us and them. You know this. If you've ever lied to your spouse, you're separated from them. They may not even know it, but you feel a separation. You've lied to anybody. If you've ever had sinful anger anger towards your children and done something you should have done. It separates you from your children. Or maybe it was selfish pride between you and a friend and it separated you from between. Sin separates us from the ones we say we love. That's exactly what it does. And when they forgive us, when those folks forgive us, it does not mean that they forget it, by the way. You, You guys ever try to forget somebody hurting you? It doesn't usually happen. It doesn't mean that they forget it Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. Forgiveness means this shall not separate us. You understand? I'll say it like this. Forgiveness means that the bond of love we share is stronger than the separating power of that sin that would come between us. I'm not going to let it do that. I love you too much. That's what God did with us. I'm not going to let your sin separate you from me. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to send the great rescuer, Jesus, to come bring you back home because I want you. I made you to be with me. I'm going to come get you, even though you don't want me to at first. And even though our guilt can be so overwhelming that we are literally crushed emotionally, spiritually, even physically, we must hear the good news today that Jesus came to bring freedom to you from your guilt and your shame. Some of you cannot Fathom being freed from some of the sins that you have been a part of. Some of you cannot fathom the shame being lifted off of you for things that were done to you that were not your choice. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus' blood sacrifice is enough to free you. You need to hear that. You need to hear that. Jesus came to this earth and went to the cross because his bond of love for us is stronger than the separating power of sin that would come between us. 1 John 2.2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Good pastor there, right? But if anyone does sin, he's an encourager, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He didn't just come to save us. He didn't just come to die on the cross for us. He came so that he could die on the cross die in our place, take the wrath we deserve that we should incur for all of eternity. He drank it down to the bottom, died in our place, then rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell so we could be brought into his family. And now while he awaits our arrival, before he comes back to get us, he stands beside the Father. And when we sin, he advocates for us like our lawyer. He goes, Father, no, 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 I died for that one too. I know, I know, it's, 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 it's insane. It's horrible sin they just did, but My blood covers that too. They're mine. You gave them to me. I love them. You love them because I love them. You love them because I died for them. You love them before you sent me. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, they call it here propitiation. He says, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins in 1 John 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. That's a big word, propitiation. Let me give you an explanation. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross first appeased the wrath of God. It satisfied the wrath of God. He drank down the punishment for us, satisfied the punishment. He paid the debt. And because Jesus paid our debt, God is no longer against us. Some people think Jesus saved us from the devil. (laughs) No. Jesus saved us from the wrath of his Father. That's what Jesus did. Because the Father wanted to save us. So Jesus saved us by paying the debt, and now God is no longer against us. In other words, he's no longer separated from us relationally, but he is now for us. He's now for us. So even though you were in complete rebellion before you came to know Jesus, even though you were dead in your sins, he sent Jesus to come bring you out of that. Before you ever wanted him, he sent Jesus so that he could bring you into his family, so that he could love you even when you did not want to love him. Once we were enemies, but now we're seated at his table. Thank you, Jesus. Right? So when you recognize the depth of your sin, when you begin praying and asking God to reveal to you what you've done in rebellion against the God who's given, given you his only son, And the full gravity of your sinfulness overwhelms you. I'm encouraging you today to turn to Jesus and find forgiveness for the past. And find hope for the future in Jesus. No matter what comes, no matter what you do, no matter how it's been done, if you're in Christ, you're covered. Is that a license to sin? Of course not. It just means that no matter what happens, he's got you. And he has always fulfilled his promises. For all who place their hope and faith in Jesus will find eternal forgiveness for all their sins. You don't have to bear that guilt and shame any longer. Give it over to him. Trust that it is real. You see, the real issue is that we don't really believe that. That's the real problem. We don't believe the gospel. Now I say that and you go, I do believe the gospel. Okay, we do believe the gospel some, but we don't really believe the gospel oftentimes. Because if we did, we would believe that sin was forgiven. If we did, we believe that he's wiped away that shame. We don't have to be ashamed anymore. We can say what happened to us. We can say what we've done and say that it was wrong and say that it was horrible and say that But God is enough. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient. His sacrifice was good and enough and satisfying. And my hope is in him you have placed your faith and hope in Jesus, your guilt and shame are gone. They've been washed away by the precious, life-giving, beautiful blood of Jesus. The perfect died for the imperfect. Right? That's us. The Son of God died for the ungodly. That's me. Right? The beautiful, sinless one died for the sinful. The holy and pure, he gave his life for the wretched and filthy. That's me. That's us. Do you see our need for forgiveness? No matter what we've done, We can never overcome it. That's why Jesus had to come here. No matter how many things we've done wrong, every time that stacks up against us, Jesus is still enough. We need him every moment of every day because no matter how many times we try to pray this prayer and ask forgiveness, we can never do it enough and we can never get right enough this side of heaven to make everything right. So he made it right for us. We need him that much. Reminds me of that old hymn, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. If you thought about those lines? That, that, that line, I, I believe, in the story there too. I've proved him over and over. I trust him because I have continued to sin. I've continued to make mistakes. And he's still there for me. How I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious. Jesus, when you recognize how you've proved him over and over, you recognize how precious he is. But oh, for grace to trust him more. Man, if I could just trust him a little more. And you can't, you can't work up enough faith to believe on him extra, to, to make enough to where everything's good, because it's not up to your faith, it's up to his goodness. No matter what happens, it's always going to be enough. Here's kind of been my prayer lately. Maybe it rings for you. pray something like this. Like, Lord, we, I believe... You died for our sins. I believe that. I believe that you shed your blood to wash away my filth. But, oh, Lord, how great are my sins. How severe are my sins and my shame and my filth. Lord, we believe you are sufficient. I believe that, Lord. I believe you're sufficient. I know you're enough. I believe that. I believe it. really do. But, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You can't muster up enough faith to live the perfect life, but you can, you can trust on the one who lived the perfect life for you. And his name is Christ Jesus, the one who came to redeem us. And he is our hope. And by the way, this forgiveness is instantaneous. Some of us have trouble with this because some of us want to think that I did this thing wrong, I've got to pay penance for that. We don't use that term it's kind of a religious term, but we'll say, I've done this thing wrong, I've got to kind of hate myself for a little while. I've got to kind of not let myself do these things that I really enjoy because I've got to kind of pay the price for what I did wrong, even though nobody else is punishing you. Listen, the price for your sin was paid in full on the cross of Christ when he spilled his blood for you. You have to pay nothing if you're in Christ. There is true freedom. Help our unbelief, Lord. If for any moment you think you've got to pay for that sin, you've missed the point of the gospel in that moment. Help our unbelief, Lord. Your forgiveness is enough because your son is enough. There's some of us in this room that do not really know the Lord. We know religion. It's always that way. I don't matter if it's got 10 people here. We'll have somebody here that thinks they know Jesus but do not know Jesus in a relational way. They know how to walk the walk, talk the talk. They do all the things a Christian would do. Some of you in here might even know that you're not a follower of Christ. I I, I don't know who you are. Unless you've told me that, I, I wouldn't know. However, I'm here today to take a moment to speak to you and say, this is a pardon given to you that costs you nothing and gives you everything. Please do not put off this pardon. Please do not put this off. Today is the day of redemption for you today is the day where you're hearing the good news about jesus you may have thought well this is just another day i've heard but this is another day ordained by god for you to hear the grace of the gospel do not put off this pardon we are not promised tomorrow we are not promised the next moment people have been living one moment in a service gathered like this and dead the next People have left places like this and not made it home. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth of life is we do not know when our time is coming. He does, we do not. Do not put off this pardon if you've never put your hope and faith in Christ. This forgiveness is freely available, but it will not be available forever. From when you die in this place, your time is done. Your opportunity is gone. There was a man, I mentioned it before here, just for the sake of driving this point home, though. I went to visit a man in the hospital. had somebody call me when I was in Maryland, say, hey, I really want you to go visit this guy. He's got some bad news coming today. I want you to go pray for him and give him Jesus. I went up there, knocked on the door, walked in, right as the doctor was telling him the news that he was not going home. He would die in that room. I sat down and began to share the gospel with him. To talk to him, ask questions, and begin to talk about Jesus, talk about his need for a Savior. He's shaking his head. His wife, they were both crying. He was shaking his head. Yeah, I know I need him. I do. I believe what you're telling me. I i, I know I, I need him. I'll take care of that when I get home. I said, but you, you heard this guy. You're not going home. I said, I, I, Yeah, I know. I know. I'll take care of it when I get home. I worked and worked to try to convince him of necessity of repenting and believing in Jesus. But when I left, I did not get that. I do not know if he repented and believed, but he was taken from this place. He did not leave the hospital alive. You do not know when the day is coming, but the day is coming. But today is a day of redemption because you hear the good news about Jesus and you know that today there's an opportunity for you to believe on the one who left creation He looked into it to become one of us, to step into it, to come and save us, to serve us because he loves us that much. Do not, do not put off your pardon. Before I move on to the text, I must also mention the evidence of true belief. So bear with me for just a moment here. The evidence of true biblical belief is biblical repentance for those who are truly followers of Jesus. When you when you are confessing your sin, you will then turn away from that sin and turn toward the Lord. That's what confession and repentance is. You will turn towards him. Biblical gospel humbled confession will always be followed with genuine repentance. Luke 13, Jesus is hanging out with some folks. Some guys are asking him about these Galileans that were killed. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered worse than them? They suffered in this way? He says to them, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What I'm trying to say to you is you can think of people right now that need to forgive somebody. You can think of people right now that need to believe on Jesus. But I'm telling you, no, no, no. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless I repent on a regular basis. Martin Luther said it well when he said, all of life for the Christian is repentance. Every day is repentance. That's the life for those who have been saved. Every day we need to turn more towards the Lord. Every day we need to say, Father, forgive us our debts. So be careful, brothers and sisters. Let us not simply think that we are okay. Let us even know that we can grieve our choices. We can feel regret that we have done wrong. You can even confess your sins before God and before others. But if there is no biblical repentance, then you are more likely on the road to hell than you are on the road to heaven. That is simply a truth because if you have been saved, you will look different. If you have been saved, he will not let you go. He did not spend his son's blood on you to let you go the route of sin and despair and death. Now, you may fall, you may fail, you may struggle, but he will not ever let you go. He says, no one can take you out of my hand. So let us heed the words of John the Baptist this morning. as He says in Matthew 3, bear fruit, brothers and sisters, in keeping with repentance that can be our assurance. Matthew 6 again, 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us as we have forgiven. Make sure you understand one truth about this before we go any further, that this is a very difficult truth, by the way. Our forgiving others does not guarantee our own forgiveness. Just because you forgive people doesn't mean that you're forgiven of the Lord. People forgive people all the time that don't know Jesus. So I don't think that's the case. God doesn't forgive you because you are worthy of forgiveness, because you're good at forgiving. God forgives you because of his grace. Right? Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Through his blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Not according to how well I forgive others. But it is correlative. He is saying that you should be forgiving others. Let me say it like this, our forgiving others does not guarantee our forgiveness. However, our unwillingness to forgive, listen to this carefully, our unwillingness to forgive others just might guarantee our condemnation, according to this text. That's a strong statement. I stand on the shoulders of many that have come before me saying the same thing. I'm going to say it one more time. Our forgiving others does not guarantee our forgiveness, but our unwillingness to forgive others actually might guarantee our condemnation. Luke 17, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We are commanded to forgive. Romans 2, Paul gets in on this in chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment, his righteous judgment, will be revealed. Let us not live that way, brothers and sisters. Now, let me say this to you. Forgiveness is not some sort of mind game. It's not some sort of thing where you just think good thoughts on somebody and you forgive them and now everything's healthy inside of you. Forgiveness is a completely supernatural affair. It is not our nature to forgive. It's our nature to have revenge. It's our nature to murder in our hearts. It's our nature to hold bitterness in our sinfulness. It is not our nature to forgive. It's a supernatural act. For us to be forgiven, check this supernatural act out, right? For us to be forgiven, it took God himself stepping out of eternity and into his own creation to redeem and restore us by coming to serve us, humbling himself to serve us even to the point of death on the cross. That's crazy that it takes that much To bring forgiveness. He should have blasted us all into hell. At the moment we sinned against him. The first time we ever rebelled. But instead he went the extra step. Of stepping into our world to save us. Have you ever thought about how great that step was for him? Have you ever pondered the step of God. Creator of the universe. Becoming one of his creation. To serve us to the point of death. It's inescapable once you go down that road. The more you recognize that, the more you will recognize your need for forgiveness, the more you will see then also that we must forgive others. For who are we, brothers and sisters? Who do we think we are that we can take the forgiveness that's been freely given to us in the person and work and death of Jesus, and that we can hold that back from someone else and not freely given? Who are we to do that, to withhold that same grace for others that's been so freely given to us, That is not our right. That is not our place. For we have been bought with the precious blood of Christ, and we are not our own, but we are his. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I do what he says to do. I do what he's done for me. But for some of us, as we think about forgiveness, listen, this is the hard part. For some of us, Our most precious possessions are our personal grudges. Just think about that for a second. For some of us, those are our most precious possessions. Do you realize that when you pray this prayer, you might actually be asking God not to forgive you? Have you thought about that? It's terrifying. I'm going to read it again forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In case we missed it, he goes on in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That is absolutely terrifying to me. We might be praying this prayer and actually praying for God not to forgive us if we're holding on to things and not forgiving others. So this person I was talking about that I've been harboring bitterness and resentment for over a year, a year and a half plus, I, I've struggled and struggled and struggled, and I, I, I've, I've tried to forgive and I thought I was over it, and all of a sudden it would come back on me. You know, you've been there before, like you thought you're forgiving somebody, and then all of a sudden something happens and it's just all over you. Like, man, white on rice is like everywhere. I've just dealt with it over and over and over again, and it has been a hard week, a hard season. Listen, I'm not the only one calling this frightening. I'm going to go through some church history here. Augustine calls this request the terrible petition because he realized that if we pray, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors with an unforgiving heart, we are actually asking God not to forgive us our sins. Or how about Thomas Watson, the guy I quoted earlier? He says, he's a great Puritan guy, he said, a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Isn't that strong language? That's what it says right here. Or how about Charles Spurgeon? See, He says, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer or C.S. Lewis, he says, no part of Jesus' teaching is more clear, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins, provided they are not too frightful, or provided they are, there are not any extenuating circumstances, or anything of that sort. He says, we are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we do not, we shall be forgiven none of our own. Forgive us our debts, As we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You cannot use some seminary language. You can't do any biblical or hermeneutical jumps here to get away from that truth. You can't say this means this, really. It doesn't really mean what it looks like it says. Because it's not just here, it's other places. What about the story where the guy is forgiven a large debt and then he won't forgive the people that owe him money? Remember that? And he's thrown under the jail, basically, after that? Showing the same truth here? Look, to hold on to our grudges toward others is not to be in God's image. It's not to be what we're created to be, but it's to be in the image of the enemies of God, to not forgive. Say it another way. To withhold forgiveness is not to be like God. To, To withhold forgiveness is to be like Satan. Let me clarify what I mean. When we withhold forgiveness, we hold on to our accusations. Well, they did this to me. They treated me like this, and they treated her like that, and they did this thing. I can't, I can't get over that. We hold on to our accusations of that other person's wrongdoings, and we therefore become like the great accuser who is Satan, who will not let it go. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. If we are Christians, if we are followers of Jesus, we can and will eventually forgive. You know why we can? Because the more and more you grow, the more and more you learn, the more and more you see about who God is and about who we are, the more you see your need for forgiveness the more you see the depth of your own sin and nobody else's sins are any worse than yours. You can watch the news and see some murderer taken off to trial. You can think, man, that person, I can't believe they would do that. Oh, but I, apart from the grace of God. For Jesus says, if I've hated somebody in my heart, I've already committed murder. Somebody caught in some sexual thing going on in the news and you think, gosh, how could they ever do that thing? Oh, but by the grace of God, would I be? In fact, I'm a man who has been broken over my own personal sin, right? All of us have had struggles in our lives. We've all had lust issues or debt issues, or I say debt issues as far as gambling issues, or we've had some kind of pride issue or some kind of lying issue or some kind of of issue of, of hating other people or anger or deceit or whatever it is. We all have our issues, and all of us stand condemned in our place apart from the grace of Jesus from the grace of Jesus. Man, don't be accusers. Let us live in the grace of the gospel. Yes, I agree with these old dead guys, right? They say, what a terrible, terrible decree this prayer of forgiveness is. But oh, what glory and grace are found in the forgiveness of Jesus. What a good God who would humble himself to come here and die in our place so that we could be brought into his family. Not just to save us, not just to bring us out of death, but to bring us into his family. What a loving, good God, man. What a wonderful, glorious thing that is. And how could we not be so freely giving? In fact, I might even argue. I'll let Spurgeon argue real quick before I get closed down here. He says, these are hard words. He's right but they are graciously hard, he says. Words especially needing to be heard by the religious person who can state all the answers. That's us. You've been in Sunday school for 20 years? You can do that, right? These are words we really need to hear. Those who attend church, who lead an outwardly moral life, but who hold a death grip on his grudges. Such people had better take an honest inventory of their lives and see if they really know Jesus. He says, I'm not referring to those who find that bitterness and hatred come back even though they have forgiven the offender, the fact that you have forgiven and continue to forgive is a sign of grace. And we're not talking about people who are struggling with forgiveness. It's those who have no desire to forgive who are in soul danger. There may also be some who have been recently offended and are still in emotional shock and so have not been able to properly respond with forgiveness. I'm not talking about those, he says. The point is, if we are Christians, we can and will forgive because Jesus can and has forgiven. In fact, I would argue, hear me right, we are never, we are never more like Jesus than when we forgive someone else. There's nothing you can do so well like Jesus as forgive another person. For when we forgive, we are like the Father and like the Son, who prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even when he says that, they knew what they were doing. They nailed him to a cross. They knew what they were doing when they made fun of him. They knew what they were doing when they were jeering at him, when they were making fun of the Son of God. They knew, but they didn't know to the fullest, but they knew what they were doing, right? But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't really understand what they're doing right now. Forgive them. And the Father has forgiven some. And we are never more like Jesus than when we forgive someone. You know, we say to err is human, but the other side of that phrase, the last part of that is to, to forgive is divine. To err is human, to forgive is divine. We often forget that. We like to say to err is human to give us a way out. Right? Oh, I just messed up. That's what we do. We're humans. To forgive is divine. You are never truly more beautiful or more noble or more healthy than when you forgive, for then you are becoming like God, the image he created you to be imaging back. Amen. Let us today, let us today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment, let us recall what He's done for us on the cross. Let us be reminded of the good news of Jesus that even though we have rebelled so much so that we deserve hell damnation under the wrath of God for all eternity instead he sent his one and only son to become one of us the king of kings to serve us the king of kings and lord of lords who created and sustains the universe to die on the cross in our place so that we can be brought into his family and let us rejoice in our forgiveness and let us ask the lord to reveal our hearts and show us where we need to forgive and become like Jesus today for you may not have the strength to do so but I promise you if you turn to him He will be your strength in the long run. Let us put our hope in him, not in myself. I will fail every day. Let us put our hope in the one who has never failed and who holds us together even now. Father, I ask you now, would you work in our hearts? Would you shape us and change us and make us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus? Lord, today as we partake in the the remembrance, the Lord's Supper of what your son did the night before he was arrested. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of our forgiveness as we take the bread and it's broken for us. Remember the body of Christ broken for us. As we take uh, the fruit of the vine and it symbolizes the blood of your son, that we remember that his blood was poured out to wash away our sins. Lord, would you work it in our hearts that we recognize the depth of our need for Jesus, and then we'd see the greatness of our forgiveness in Christ. And therefore, Lord, we would forgive in the same. For Father, we need you to forgive us our sins, even the sins of unforgiveness. As we have forgiven those who sinned against us, we need you to forgive us. Lord, help us to be more and more like Jesus so that your name is made holy in this place, so that your kingdom would come as people see a people like us who are broken over our sin and who are, are forgiving Lord, so different than the world around us. Let them see that and see there's difference, so that they might hear the gospel for the first time and find that they too can have forgiveness for the past and hope for the future so that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in us as it is in heaven. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12 Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.